0: It's a pleasure for me to be able to share with you a few moments here. I am so very sorry for what has befallen our scheduled speaker, Um, but I'm glad that I have an opportunity to talk with you just a little bit about things that I love with all of my heart. We want to welcome all of you that are here from Youth Rush, from Souls West, from GLOW, and the pastors and presenters and others who are here, we just are so grateful to you for being here at the first annual iShare conference. It is our hope and our prayer that this will be an annual event that God is going to use to equip young men and women, as well as older men and women, to be used of God to finish God's work today. I like I Share I seek to help advance revival and evangelism. I, single person, I. And uh, I'm hoping that the outcome of our conference and the outcome of this weekend will be that we as individuals will embrace that calling that God has given to us personally and individually, and will be able to go into our churches and to our schools and to go into our homes and to be used of God to help finish his work today. I, I, if you have your program, I'd like for you to turn to uh, the back page that has the names of the executive committee. This is the group of young adults that have planned this program together. And if you are one of those who are listed here, would you please stand right now? Those of you who are listed in the back here, please stand. And I'd like for everyone to give them a a hand and applause and thank them for the excellent job that they've done in putting this program together. Thank you. Did you notice that I love the the creativity of our group? I share what I have, Acts chapter 3 and verse 6. I invite you to open your Bibles to the text and the chapter that we will be using, we'll be looking at this morning. Acts chapter 3 and starting with verse 1. If you have it, could you please say amen. amen. That was pretty week. I know you can do better. If you have it, please say amen. amen. All right. Now I know that you're You know, you're alive and well, and you're taking, you know, oxygen in. That's good. Let's take a look. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, about three o'clock in the afternoon. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple "'Silver and gold I do not have, "'but what I do have I give you. "'In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, "'rise up and walk.' "'And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, "'and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. "'So he, leaping up, stood and walked "'and entered the temple with them, "'walking, leaping, and praising God. "'And all the people saw him walking.' And praising God. Then they knew that it was the one, that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Verse 11. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them to the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So Peter saw, so when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the, the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. Peter and John were witnesses. They saw, they heard, they experienced. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes. The faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the, to the fathers, Quote, the Lord, uh, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things whatsoever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear the prophet, that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Quote. Yes. And all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed, referring to Jesus. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away everyone of you from your iniquities praise the Lord for his word what did Peter and John have such as I give silver and gold they didn't have but what they had they gave to the lame man what do you have there may not be too many of you that are wealthy, even though you're excellent canvassers. And What do you have? Because when you go to your homes and schools and go back, you will share that which you have. One of the reasons for iShare is to equip you so that you might have more, but what do you have? Well, let's take a look at this a little bit, because I think... You have most of the things, if not all of the things, that Peter and John had. Let's begin. Well, Peter and John, they had their presence. They were present physically in the temple. You have your presence also. You are here. You will be in your family. You will be in your schools. You will be in your workplace. You will be in your churches. Your presence. That is something that you have, like John and Peter had. Now, you may not think that your presence is very important, but I'm here to tell you, your presence really matters. I've done uh, this year thus far five evangelistic campaigns. In some of the campaigns, there's a lot of people. In other of the campaigns, there's a lot of angels filling up the empty chairs. And I'm grateful for those angels. I'm grateful for them. But I want to tell you, when young people are in my meetings, my, I tell you, I I just kind of lift it up. And so you can imagine where I'm at with all of you here, huh? I love young people. And your presence, your presence matters. Indeed, your presence is a present to me. Your presence is a present to maybe there are some family members who you may not have seen for a while. As a matter of fact, there may be even some estrangement in your family. Maybe they would welcome a call from a younger member of the family. Maybe you may have some grandparents or great-grandparents that are in a rest home or in a convalescent hospital. Your presence will bring them a smile and lift up their spirits. Your presence is a present to them and to many others. Peter and John were present in the temple. Your presence in the church is vital, is important, young people. If I'm not doing evangelistic meetings, I'm preaching in different churches. English churches, Spanish churches, Filipino churches, Chinese church, African-American churches, etc. I'm in the churches. All right. Some of our churches don't have very many young people. Your presence is important to your church, to your local church. Oh, I know there may not be a lot of young people there. I understand You know, we like to be together with other young people. I know, I know. I understand. But I hope that you will take away from here a spirit of giving as opposed to a spirit of getting. I'm going to go to church. A lot of people go to church because they want to be with friends. I hope that you will say, no, I want to go to church because I want to do ministry I want to give of myself. I've received so much, and I want to give back. I want to give back with my presence, with your smile, with your energy, with your creativity. Give back. Give back. Become an instrument of the revitalization of the churches in the Pacific Union. And you will receive. You will receive more than you give. We must turn it around from from a a religion of, what can I get out of this to, Lord, provide a way that I can give back more and more and more. What else did, did Peter and John have? Well, they had a knowledge. They knew Jesus. They knew who he was. They had been with him. They had heard his voice. They had seen him. They had felt his touch. They had been with him in Gethsemane. They had been there at Calvary. They learned shortly after the resurrection that he was resurrected. Have you been with Jesus to Gethsemane? Spirit of Prophecy says that we should spend a thoughtful hour focusing especially upon the closing events. Have you been with Jesus to Gethsemane? Let's go to Gethsemane just for a few moments. Because you see, Peter and John knew Jesus. They were with him there in Gethsemane. Take a look at Matthew. Matthew chapter 26. Let's just spend a few moments there. Matthew chapter 26, it's Thursday night. The Last Supper was finished. They'd gone out of the upper room into the narrow streets of old Jerusalem went out the city gates, across the brook Kidron, and into a garden. Gethsemane, chapter 26, verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. And he began to be sorrow, sorrowful, full of sorrow, And deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly full of sorrow, sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther, fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, oh, my father, Abba, Papa, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Verse 43. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. What was causing Jesus so much pain and so much sorrow on that Thursday night, some 2,000 years ago? When I was younger, I used to think it was the anticipation of the shame and the suffering, the physical suffering of crucifixion. After all, you know, being crucified was a terrible way to die. It was calculated. The the Romans were, were experts in maximizing the amount of physical pain and prolonging it for as long as possible. Indeed, people were, a number of folks who were crucified would be on the cross for days and days and days. Was it the Was it the anticipation on that Thursday night of the physical sufferings of crucifixion that was the source of the anguish and sorrow and pain that Jesus experienced on that Thursday night? No, it wasn't. You know what it was? You see, Jesus understood that he would have to either take the cup or to reject the cup that was the decision that Jesus had to make and the cup was the cup of iniquity but it was not so much sin that was the even though sin is is a horrific thing to the mind of God but it was what sin does you see in Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 it says your iniquities have separated you from God and so Jesus sensed, according to Ellen White, the chapter entitled Gethsemane and Desire of Ages, Jesus Jesus sensed the separation that was coming between his father and himself. And so he hung on. He hung on to the boulder. He hung on tight. You know, white knuckles, hanging on, hanging up. Father, please, please, if it's possible, let this come. I don't want to be separated from you, Father. I love you. We've been one from eternity. we spent all night together. Father, please. I used to only think about what Jesus was thinking in this drama, this passion of the ages. I used to think about my savior and what he was going through. And it breaks my heart when I think about it. But I became a father. Timothy, my oldest, was, came into our lives in 1972. And I began to think, what was going on in the Father's heart? As he he listens to his son, as he beholds Jesus, Jesus, appealing to him, Father, please. There were choices that were made at Gethsemane by the Godhead. And the choices involved you and me the father listening to his son and also seeing me and seeing you see the Godhead has the ability to provide personal attention to each human being and so I think the father saw me Arnold Trujillo and he saw my need And he saw my sinful condition. And he saw my hopelessness. And so Jesus, the father, he made a decision. Listening to his son, beholding his son there in Gethsemane, holding on with all that he had physically to the boulders to keep from being separated farther farther from his son, from his father. And the father chose me over his son. And he chose you, 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 and he chose every one of you. The father made the choice in Gethsemane to place our sins on his beloved son knowing that that was going to separate him from him amazing grace amazing grace the savior also made a choice in Gethsemane for the savior said father you know it's my will I don't want to be separated from you. I love you. And sin, this cup, this will separate me from you, Father. But notice what he also said. Not my will, but your will be done. I believe with all my heart that when Jesus said that, he was thinking about me. And he was thinking about you, and you, and you, and you. For you see, we are not saved as a group. We're saved as individuals. Jesus is your Savior. He must be your Savior. You see, we're talking about the first person I seek to help. Jesus died for you as if there were no other person that needed to savior, Jesus died for you. He died for each one of us. Oh, amazing grace. Amazing grace that Jesus took our place. He took from his father. The father transferred, gave our sins and the penalty for sin upon his beloved son. Knowing that it was going to separate his son from him. Jesus took our sins upon. The father did not force Jesus. Jesus chose to accept our sins. And the separation that was ours. And the penalty of sin that was ours. He chose to accept. Why? Because my beloved. There was no other way. For you and I to be saved. For you and I to be reconciled with the father. There was no other way. The Godhead suffered in Gethsemane. The Godhead suffered at Calvary. The Godhead suffered in Joseph's tomb. But beloved, we have wonderful good news. Because the resurrection came. And Jesus came forth from the grave. And when he came forth, you see that said, the penalty was paid. The sacrifice was adequate. That the separation that is ours has been removed. And we've been reconciled. We've been reunited. We we can be at one with God. And we get all the blessings of being one with God. We have life and we have hope. We have forgiveness and we have power. You see, Peter and John had been to Gethsemane. Had been to Calvary. They knew. Do you you remember what I read? Peter was talking about Jesus and his death and his resurrection. Is Jesus your personal Savior today? Do you know him? Not about him. Do you know him? Do you know that he knows your name? He knows you. He knows your failures. He knows your, your, the blessings, the, the things that you've accomplished. For He knows all of those things. He loves you as if there was no other person in the universe. He knows you. You see, my beloved, Peter and John knew Jesus. Such as I have. I don't have silver and gold, they said, but such as I have. I give to you. One of the things that Peter and John had is that they had a knowledge, a first hand knowledge of Jesus, Jesus' death, and what it accomplished, Jesus' resurrection, and what it accomplished. Peter and John also had a faith, a faith. They believed and they acted on that belief. That's what faith is. Faith is saying, okay, I believe this. And because I believe this, I will act on it. Even though I don't know exactly how it's going to come out. You may not know the end from the beginning. But you know that Jesus has said, this is the way, walk in it. He will not necessarily let you know where the end is going to be. I pastored probably about... 15 churches over the 20 years of pastoring of the 44 years that I've worked for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I've been in some horrifically tough situations. And I can tell you, my beloved, the Lord would say, this is the way. I'm thinking particularly about the Spanish-American church in Boyle Heights in East L.A. And they have a tremendous needs and for a building. And so the Lord said, walk this way. We had no money. We only had tremendous needs. And so we started walking that way, not knowing how it was going to all come out. The Lord opened doors, but he never let me see the end. He only opened the doors a little ways, walked through it. Well, okay, Lord, and kept on walking through. Faith. Is believing and acting upon that belief. Peter and John had faith. Do you, young people and adults, others, do you have faith? Silver and gold have I not, but such as I have, you have faith. You have a voice. You have a voice such as you have. Use it. Speak. Speak. Peter and John had compassion. They cared for the lame. They cared also for the the Jewish people who were there in the temple. They they cared for the unsaved. They cared for the sick. And they cared for those who were spiritually ill as well. Do you have a compassion? A passion and a compassion? One caring and loving... People who are in need. They were bold. Peter was bold. He says in the. Check it out. He is in the temple. Okay. He is in the temple. This is the center of worship for the Jewish people. He's in there in the courtyard there. And he is talking to the Jewish people, the Jewish believers there who believed in their system of religion and all. And they were looking for a Messiah. A Messiah that was much different than Jesus. But here comes these Galileans, these countrymen from the north that spoke with an accent, that were uneducated and uncultured. And they're there in the center of of worship And they have the audacity, the boldness to say to the Jewish people there, he, Jesus, Jesus is the Messiah. Number one, this was so foreign to that thinking that a Messiah would be crucified. To be crucified was a terrible thing. The the, the concepts of Messiah and crucifixion were so, so, you know, contrary to their thinking. And to be able to say in the temple, no, the Messiah, Jesus is the one who is crucified. He is the one. He is the true Messiah. That took boldness. And then even more boldness to say to them, repent. Repent for what you have done. Oh, I know that you didn't know what you were doing, but repent. Oh, Peter and John were bold. Young people, you are bold. You have demonstrated that repeatedly. Praise the Lord. Peter and John also had hope. They had good news. They had wonderful news that they could be, re- that they could be forgiven and That God would bless them. Acts chapter 3. Repent therefore, verse 19. And be converted that your sins may be blotted out. So that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. They had hope. They had hope for those people who had or may have been indifferent or active in the crucifixion of Christ. God did not give up on the Jewish people because of their sin. No, no. Indeed, all of the first converts, thousands of converts came from the Jewish people. Peter and John had a love, a love for the Father, a love for Jesus, his Son, their Savior, our Savior, and a love for the people, a love that led them To turn the world upside down in a generation because of their love for Christ and their love for the lost. I believe all of us here certainly can have that which Peter and John had. Silver and gold, Peter and John did not have, but such as they had, they gave. They gave. They gave. They gave personally, they gave consistently. We have here before this congregation is made up of individuals, many of you who are graduates of Souls West or are students at Souls West. Many of you have, during the last summer or more than one summer, have been involved in Youth Rush, wherein you have knocked on hundreds and hundreds of doors, thousands of doors across the Union. Tens of thousands of pieces of literature have been distributed, have been sold, or have been given. You have gifts, you have training. Number of you here present have have not been involved with either Glow or with Youth Share, Youth Rush, or um, Souls West. But you are nurses, or you may be retired or your pastors. Those of you who are not engaged in, in a ministry, active ministry, but are involved in working in the work world, working as nurses, working as computer programmers, working as, as educators, working in the whole vast array of, of things that people do in order to keep the bread on the table and the roof over the head. What is it that we can do? Well, I like one text here that I'd like to just kind of share with you. And we find this in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10. Notice what it says there. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. One of the founding principles of iShare is the idea of that soul winning, whatever area that means, that soul winning will become a lifestyle. That you will not do evangelism, but that you will be an evangelist that you will not merely be engaged in knocking on doors, but that you will be living, you will be breathing, you will be every part of your life is, is dedicated to, Lord, use me this day, this hour to communicate, be it in my family, and don't forget your family. Continue to pray for your family. Continue to live a consistent Christian life in your family. You may be the only vegetarian in your family like I was growing up. You may be someone only that is serious about keeping the Sabbath holy. You may be the only one that is, as you go to family gatherings and all, and, and they're serving, you know, pork and whatever else, you know, and you may be the only one there that's just going to say, no to ya, no auntie, no uncle, you know, I'll, I'll pass you, know, I'll take, oh, it's okay, the potatoes, vegetable salad. Hey, that is, I'm okay with that. In my family, I covet it. And I was so jealous of other classmates whose mother and dad were desirous of communing with God and and loved things of God. I coveted those kids who had those kinds of families, those kinds of parents. But I thank God that I grew up in the family that I did because it was my choice consistently my choice that I was going to follow Jesus because I came to understand that he knew my name as a young boy. And I said, I want to be yours. I want to be your disciple. And as the years went by, and as I had uncles and aunts that died, my Catholic uncles and aunts would call on this young teenage boy and say, Arnold, come and pray for us. Come and pray for the family. And so I became kind of the default priest of the family. I preached in Catholic churches at the funeral services of my relatives because As a 15-year-old or as a 16-year-old, as a 17-year-old, as a 20-year-old, I was trying to follow Jesus and Jesus alone. Oh, young people, follow Jesus. Love your family. Love them, whether or not they agree with you, whether or not they'll go to church with you, even though they may give many excuses why they don't want to, love them. Love them. Visit them. Pray for them. Call them. Remember them. Don't forget them. As long as there's life, as long as Jesus is in the heavenly sanctuary, ministering on our behalf, there's hope. There's hope. Jesus went to the cross for them. Jesus paid the penalty for them. There's hope. Don't give up on your family. In your schools. If you're in academy or colleges, universities. Be they an Adventist college or a non-Adventist college. Be they whatever. Do not fall into the trap of thinking, Oh, I am preparing to do ministry. No, 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 no. You do ministry while you're there. You're a disciple of Jesus now. You're only going to keep walking in the future with him when he comes. But it's a walk that continues, that begins now and continues now, and walk with him every day, every day. And in your school, you have schoolmates. Pray for them. Talk with them. Listen to them. Listen to them. But walk, following Jesus. Jesus is your model. Jesus is your mentor. Jesus is your example. Jesus is your savior and your friend. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus of the word. Jesus of the Bible. Those of you who are working full time and you're working as nurses, you're working in hospitals, you're working in clinics, you're working in other places. Oh, allow God to use you as Jesus. You know, Jesus spent more time healing than he did preaching or teaching. You know that, don't you? That's what his primary ministry was apart from mentoring. Mentoring was the thing that consumed virtually you know, uh, all of his time as a, as a, during his public ministry, three and a half years. But apart from the mentoring part, he was healing people. He was caring for people. He was touching people. And he was restoring people. There would be villages where Jesus went into and every man, woman, and child who was sick was healed. Everybody. Now, I used to think about that. Wow. Everybody. Including some of the folks, you know, I'm sure that were totally undeserving. What do you think? I mean, do you know of any demon-possessed person who is, you know, a follower of God? I don't know. I don't think so. A demon-possessed... Possessed by one of Lucifer's angels? No, no. But yet he healed them. He healed them. His healing ministry was a revelation that the kingdom that Jesus was establishing was a kingdom of unmerited favor, a kingdom of grace. And you and I must be disciples of grace. We must be fountains of grace. We must give people not which they deserve, but we must give them love. We must give them forgiveness. We must give them healing, healing spiritually as well as physically we because we've been in communion with God we have now been filled we have he has filled our cup and so we now can give to the world give to all those around us even though we don't receive it back why because we've been with Jesus See, the whole purpose of the Sabbath is so that he can fill us, so that he can, you know, plug us in into a supercharge and and, and supercharge our love batteries so that all the week long we can be giving and giving and giving even though we don't receive back. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful Savior is Jesus, our Lord. Jesus is coming soon. we have the privilege, the honor, and it has been, one of the speakers noted that the pig came in and spoke to the folks, where was it, in Fiji or Papua New Guinea, you know, and proclaimed truth. Jesus does not need Arnold Trujillo. He does not need me. But he calls me. And then he called me, he's called me a long time ago, but in the last few years he called me to evangelism, to public evangelism. And I'll tell you, as long as I have a voice, as long as I can talk with or without any kind of money coming in from anybody else, I'm going to keep on preaching. I'm going to keep on lifting up the hearts and minds to people in To to Christ in heaven. I want Jesus to come. But Jesus has not come because he's unwilling that any should perish. He doesn't need me. But he has called me. He's called me. He's called you. Because he wants to bless us. He doesn't need us. But he wants to bless us. He wants us to experience the joy of seeing men and women, boys and girls, come into a loving relationship with Christ. I tell you, that is joy. You know that. You've experienced that. I can see it. I can hear it as you have spoken, as you've given your testimonies. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful Savior we have. And soon we're going to see him. I mean, I expected Jesus to come before I graduated from academy, and that was like in the last millennium. (laughs) I expected Jesus to come before I graduated from college. That also was in the last millennium. And now, you know, after 44 years, I can't say, you know, that I have a, a real trajectory, right? But I don't know. And certainly the Lord doesn't have to come before I am pushing up daisies. No, I'm not saying that at all. I would like for him to come. I'll be honest, Lord, you know that. We've been at this a while. So you know. Yes, he says, I know. But I want you to know, Lord, it's your will. I'm okay with it. If I should rest, I'm okay with it. I'm okay. But I want you to know it's in my heart that Jesus should come while I can see him and hear him and feel his embrace and he calls my name what a wonderful day that will be I not only want to be there by myself but I would like to have all of you young people there as well I would like for you to be a part of the group That's going to receive him. Going to say to him, "Lord, this is our God. We've waited for Him. I would like for you to be there. I'd like for those that you have worked and labored for would also be there. Your family members also, that they would be there. Oh, young people! I want to ask you to make a commitment. Number one, I want you to make a commitment that you're going to be there at the reunion in the sky." When Jesus comes, either because you've been resurrected, because you, you've, you know, you're sleeping in the grave, or because you have the privilege of being translated without resting in the grave. Do you want to be with Jesus when He comes? Raise your hands. Would you be willing to commit yourself to be used of Him on a daily basis as you leave here? To be an instrument of God under the direction of the Holy Spirit, to minister to your family to your classmates, your work your work colleagues, would you commit that to be an instrument of his grace to people in your sphere of influence? Would you do that? Oh, beloved Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. We're thankful, Father, that Peter and John, that they know, knew you and because they knew you, and what they had, they gave. And they, people were blessed. The lame man, those who were in the temple, that they were blessed. Father, we also have that which you have given to us. And that which we have, Father, we want to share. We want to give, whether it be in our homes, our families, whether it be in our schools or institutions of education where we may be attending whether it be in our workplace, Father, whether it be in our ministries, oh, Father, make us your fountains of love and grace that as people see us, that they can get a clear picture of your grace, of your love. May they fall in love with your Son and Father. Receive him into their hearts and be prepared to spend eternity eternity with him. This is our prayer. Finish your work in us. And then, O oh, Father, finish your work through us. We may see Jesus in our day. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www. Dot audioverse.org.